0: The title for this evening's talk is Can My Eyes Truly See? I'd like to start with reading a quatrain from Goethe. What is most difficult of all? That which seems easiest of all. To see with your eyes what lies before your eyes. Some time ago, a particular thought kept arising. Can my eyes truly see? And for some time, this was a predominant question for me. Can I know what's true anymore? I was asking myself. I wondered whether I could see what's true in myself, in others, in my external world. Did my eyes deceive me? could I see in a way that was beyond my projections, my projections of what I thought is true, or I think is true, or what I want to believe is true, a way that was beyond my mental filters on consciousness. Because what I saw happening again and again, I thought something was going to happen in a particular way, and it didn't turn out that way at all. I would see this over and over again. Or I thought someone would be a certain kind of a person, and they turned out to be quite differently. For example, I might plan a vacation, and I thought it would really be a great week, and it rained all week. Or I thought I'd have a difficult meeting with somebody, and it turned out to be an easy meeting. Or I thought it would be an easy meeting, and it turned out to be difficult. Just simple things. How, how there's a... An idea of how something's going to go, and it just doesn't go that way at all. People and events would be different than I expected, and then I'd be surprised. I'd have a real sincere element of surprise when it didn't turn out the way I thought it would. What I was confronted with were my expectations built up through my projections and my belief structure about how I thought the world was. How I thought the world should be. And lo and behold, to find out it wasn't that way at all. I've been hearing about the word projection for some time and I really couldn't understand that concept even though other people seemed to understand what projections meant. I had an intellectual understanding. I knew that it had something to do with what I think about something or someone gets projected or put onto that situation or that person, what my thoughts were about the situation or person. And these thoughts and images inhibit seeing in a fresh way. The flip side of that, something else I would hear about, would be mirroring, that people could mirror ourselves back to us. And the theory was that People become mirrors for us to see our projections. So what we are really seeing is ourselves and others. So I would hear about projections and mirroring. It all seemed quite interesting, but I just wasn't able to get what that was about. I wasn't able to step back from my thoughts and images and feelings, which got projected. It seemed that what I saw was the truth. There was no question about it. Around my mid-twenties, I thought I was old enough to know who I was. I believed I had a set of personality traits that I had to learn to live with, whether I liked it or not. I thought that I was some kind of thick, static entity that was unchanging and unchangeable, and I was a victim to how I turned out to be. And I didn't like myself very well, and yet I was stuck. This was what I got. This was my package. And I thought that this realization was the wisdom. This was the ultimate wisdom, the ultimate truth, to finally get that, that what you see is what you get, and you're stuck with it. And then I started meditating and I started slowing down and quieting down and relaxing somewhat and I started feeling different I was a bit happier, a bit more at ease, more relaxed and I thought, maybe there's something to this maybe there is a possibility for change and the more I looked the more I started seeing things about myself that I never saw before the first thing I saw was how critical I was of myself. I saw all the ideals and expectations I had on myself that I had to live up to. I saw how unaccepting I was of just being, that there was always a better way to be, I was not good enough, never good enough. I didn't like who I was, and I saw that. I saw that to the depth. I saw how critical I was of other people, how judgmental and unaccepting, projecting my own agitation and need to be better onto other people. They needed to be different. They needed to be better. I saw the ideals and expectations others had to live up to because of my own framework for perfection. And yet, ironically enough, Sometimes I was more able to accept certain traits in people that I couldn't accept in myself. For example, if somebody in the meditation hall were to say something in the hall that they thought was silly or foolish, and then they felt embarrassed, I could have some compassion for them since I knew how painful it would be for me if I said something or acted in a way I thought was foolish. So I could accept that in them but I really couldn't accept it in myself. I started seeing how critical I was of the situations and events around me at the time. The way that events unfolded just weren't adequate. It wasn't adequate. At that time, my partner and I couldn't afford a house, and I didn't like certain things about where we lived. The car was run down. There wasn't enough vacation time. There wasn't enough adventure or excitement. It seemed that whatever was occurring on just about any level was unsatisfactory. And even when it was satisfactory, it didn't last long enough. It was not good enough, never enough. This seemed to be my mantra. Not good enough, not good enough. But what I was confronted with were all my ideals and beliefs about how I should be, how others should be, how my world should be. And these desires all got projected outwardly. Since I wanted more adventure in my life, I would spend hours looking through the travel sections in the Sunday newspaper for exciting vacations. Or since I wanted to feel more attractive, I would want to be around people I thought were attractive and living exciting lives. And then I would be that by association. That would make me more attractive. Or since I wanted to project an attractive and adventurous image, I would dress up to match my idea of the kind of person I thought I should be in the world. I was always trying to alter what was in some way to my liking. Alter things so that I was happy, that I liked what was happening. And I was endlessly distracted by this activity of altering. Distracted from what was right in front of me, and then continually feeling disappointed and dissatisfied. Isn't this really the human dilemma? Continually feeling disappointed, dissatisfied with the way things are. And then spending most of our time and energy trying to fix the situation, to alter, manipulate, control, force, direct events to our liking, my liking, the way that the self wants it. And then each time reinforcing the self, reinforcing the ego, again and again and again, and not catching the ego at its game, not seeing through this. You might be able to see this happening here on the retreat. I wonder if many of you can relate to this distracting activity. For example, I'm sitting here, and I have an idea about how I should be, how I should be here. I should be, be feeling peaceful, no thought, no agitation, contacting the breathing continuously, I should be happy, and blissed out. <laughs> <laughs> then the idea about how others should be. The person shouldn't be talking so much in the group. The person shouldn't be wearing those kinds of clothes. Shouldn't be breathing so hard in the meditation hall all these ideas about how the retreat should be going, and it's not what's happening. What I want to be happening, my thoughts and ideas about what I want to be happening, becomes a filter on what is happening, and I'm in conflict. There's tension, there's struggle, and then there's more wanting because we don't like the tension, we don't like the restlessness, we don't like the struggle and we're caught in this loop trying to get out of this loop In a, maybe in a more subtle way I think I know what's happening And I evaluate my experience Say, I say this isn't going well I'm not opening enough I'm closed I'm not doing enough I'm drifting I'm complacent We have these ways of evaluating our experience. experience. And then what happens is we take the thought to be true, and this becomes the present experience. The content of the thought becomes the experience along with the feelings that arise because I believe this thought is true. We just have this tendency to believe our thoughts as the truth instead of looking closer really taking a close look seeing what's happening maybe a thought arises that, that I'm miserable I don't want to be here anymore and maybe if we really look more closely to see what is the source of that agitation maybe there's an unpleasant sensation in the knee and you just don't want to feel it and then this whole story can get created about having a miserable retreat and it's time to leave because there's one little sensation in the body that just doesn't want to be felt and it's very agitating. Our ideas, our belief structure becomes a constant companion made of ideals, hopes, expectations, opinions, assumptions, And this structure, this can actually almost feel tangible at times, like a heavy weight on our shoulders or a brick wall that we keep running into. And it can manifest as disappointment and hurt and anger. And if this isn't seen clearly, We will run into our belief structure wherever we go, literally run into it, you know, confront it. (laughs) Sometimes when we hear people talk, their words filter through the structure. (coughs) We can't really hear what they're trying to say. Or when we see things, it's difficult to see beyond our constructed story of what we think things are, how we think things are going. I saw this magazine ad of these, the picture of these two lovers, they were airbrushed and beautiful. They were resting on a lounge in a magnificent bedroom in an old French country house. And I used to think when I looked at an ad like this, oh, when will that happen to me? You know, this fantasy of myself in the picture of what it must feel like, what it must be like to have this lover in this country home and France. Well, being American, it was even more romantic. <laughs> and I would look with mystical eyes at this ad and I would say, I would think to myself, only if I used field craft sheets <laughs> then I would have this kind of experience too. You know, it's just what the the ad wanted to provoke in us. You know, kind of these romantic ideals about ourselves and our lives. But now I can see that the myth has faded. Because I look at the ad and I can see there's two human beings who are doing their modeling job, who also have their traumas and their stories and their problems in life. Somehow the romance has faded. I had this strong tendency to build up these romantic ideals in life, hoping that there's a way out of the pain. If I could just get things in order, it'll all be okay. Like in the fairy tales when we, when, that we read to children, that and, and they lived happily ever after. You know that feeling, if you just could get things right, and everything will be happy forever after. The message is very, very strong in the culture, comes through in the media. We are told we'll be happy if only we can create ourselves in a particular way, ourselves as educated, successful, beautiful, active. If we have relationships, many friends and lovers and partners and... We have a lifestyle where we have money and possessions and nice cars. This is a message that really gets delivered to us. Yet some people realize that there must be more to life than success, beauty, and material wealth. We want to transcend the worldly life. This generally happens for people. They say, no, this, this can't be all there is. There must be more and yet what happens is then when somebody begins to pursue a spiritual path then they transfer all the ideals ideals onto the spiritual so then rather than success and beauty and material possessions then we want peace and joy and openness and ease and comfort and bliss we just shifted it. one set of ideals in the world a whole set of spiritual ideals and still don't see how we're trapped in the same game of wanting things to be different. And then when it isn't like that, again we wonder what's wrong. It shouldn't be this way, we say. I should feel more open and loving towards all beings. I should want peace and harmony for all beings. I must have more work to do. But really, I wonder if anything's wrong. Or if we've just confronted our belief structure again. We've just come... We've just ran into the wall of all of our ideas, our baggage, our luggage that we're carrying. For me, I had a chance to see how much I was holding on to my romantic ideals by going to India. I've been there a few times, and on one of the trips, I could see how, I was, how much attachment I had to comfort and beauty. <coughs> As my friends talked about how much they loved India, that mystical, magical country... And I just was not having that experience. I thought that I should be having that experience. A few years ago, after uh, spending a month in Budgaya teaching the course with Christopher and Fred and Norman, I had a few weeks to travel afterwards, and I was going back to Delhi. It was about a four-hour bus ride back to Delhi, and the Indian buses are a real adventure in themselves. And we came from the country, and about two hours in from, on the outskirts from the country to the city of Delhi, it actually started looking like the aftermath of a bomb that had hit. Everything just sort of had a, a shadow of darkness around it. And we came closer and closer into the city, and the traffic got thicker, and I could see the rickshaw wallas on the... Um, uh, bicycle rickshaws, wheeling and pushing their their load in the midst of all the exhaust fumes of the buses and the taxis and the cars and the horses breathing in the fumes and the rickshaw, old rickshaw walls bringing in the fumes, breathing in the fumes. And I, was, I just felt myself getting sicker and sicker at the sights and the smells and everything that I was taking in. And my mind was saying to me, I should be having a good time. I should be able to see the beauty. I should be able to feel the magic. That something was off with my experience, because I was just getting sicker and sicker and felt like I needed to throw up. But the actuality of what I was actually experiencing was that I was in shock. I was literally in shock. I was at the horror of the chaos that I was seeing. And wanting to see the beauty, wanting to see something other than I was seeing, was preventing me from just being able to feel what was true. The pain just seemed like it was too much. And that was a great lesson in just that how that overlay of wanting the situation to be different just increased the, the sickness that I was feeling. It was the, the overlays just became thicker and thicker and thicker with all the painful sights and smells and then the the, the tremendous pressure and expectation I was putting on myself to feel differently about the experience. I actually wound up catching Jardia a couple of days later and being sick for the next three months. So I wonder if that experience actually has something to do with it. I find that if our eyes can't see our attachments, life will show them to us life will show us how attached we are to our belief structure. If we want something different to be happening than what is happening, we're going to be in conflict. We're going to suffer. We can certainly have the intention to build things up in a particular way, to have a direction, to want certain things to go a certain way, how we like, have some preferences. But we need to hold our visions and our preferences very lightly. Because if we hold on too tight, we're going to suffer. We'll be set up for for pain and disappointment because we really have no control over the results of our actions. We really don't have any control. The flow is quite beyond our control. I want you to just read a short poem from Rumi. Sort of gives the feeling of this, the flow of things. You are the notes, and we are the flute. We are the mountain. You are the sounds coming down. We are the pawns and kings and rooks you set out on a board. We win or we lose. We are lions rolling and unrolling on flags. Your invisible wind carries us through the world. There is a flow that's quite beyond our control. Can you see that here? Can you really control any of your experiences here? How successful have any of you been when you've tried? Things can just change in a flash. You think you're going in one direction and suddenly you're going in another direction, just out out of the blue. Things just instantly can change. But if you're holding on to a set of ideas, a structure of ideas, As the way you want things to be, you're in trouble. It just doesn't work that way. There's going to be conflict. There's a a little story of somebody who was quite aware of this. There is a story of Nasruddin. I told this on the the last one-month course, so some of you have heard this. Nasruddin, an old Sufi master, was walking through the courtyard and he was stopped by one of the policemen on a Saturday morning. And the policeman just felt like giving Nasruddin some trouble. So he said, Nasruddin, where are you going? And Nasruddin said, I don't know. He said, of course you know, Nazruddin. Every Saturday morning, you walk to the temple. Why are you being so obstinate? He said, I don't know. He said, you're really being stubborn. I'm going to take you down to the jail. And he rushes, races him down to the jail. And when they got down there, Nasruddin says, See, you don't know. <laughs> <laughs> Very good idea to keep that kind of <laughs> attitude. So why do we build up this structure? We build this up so that we can feel secure, so that we can feel a foundation under our feet. We can have something to hold on to. But does it really work? Are we feeling any more secure? We pretend certain things are true. We pretend that. We say, I'm in this wonderful relationship, or I'm so happy, or I'm so miserable. Everything's going so wonderful in my life. (laughs) But what about the possibility of just... The story that we're carrying, the ideas that we're carrying, the belief structure that we're carrying, just letting it all collapse. Just letting it all fall apart. Meditation seems to help that. It seems to blow holes in the structure. And the way it does that is by when we look directly at what's happening without the usual storyline. Without the labels, without buying into the concepts about what we think is true, without listening and and believing every thought that goes through the mind, when we drop the labeling of our experiences and stop making up stories about what's happening, what has happened, or what will happen, and take the risk to live more directly. What's there? What's there if we just let it all go, if we just let it all collapse? What's really happening at this point? It may actually sound impossible to live and act in the world without believing the stories we make up about who we are, about who other, others are, about where we're going, what we're doing. And yet has this possibility ever been looked into? Have you really challenged this assumption that it's not possible? Have you ever stopped and said to yourself, I want to live in a fresh way. I want to be free from what is known. I want to be free from what is familiar free from these habitual patterns of conditioning. Really looking at that possibility of being free from all of that. We go around thinking that we know what our world is about, what we are about, what other people are about, but what do we really know? We think we know, for instance, what it means to be spiritual. I know that because many people say to me that they just can't get what this is about, which means they have some idea what it is about. If you were to examine your ideas about this, it's likely you'll, you'll find you have a whole set of ideals about what it means to be spiritual. Have you examined your ideas about what it means to be mindful? Just that. What does it really mean to be mindful, rather than just assuming that you're not being mindful? Or your ideas about what it means to be present? What it means to be here? People think they know. They take it for granted. I hear people in interviews say, I wasn't present. I wasn't in the moment, I wasn't being mindful." And I say, well, how do you know? (laughs) Because you need to investigate these assumptions. Investigating these assumptions about what we think these concepts mean are vital to being able to be free of them. If you say you weren't present, you must have an idea about what it means to be present the only way you'd know that you weren't present. But even this idea of what it means to be present must go. It has to go because if there's any idea at, at all, we'll be limited by it, we'll be fixed by it. Has this been investigated or is it just taken for granted? What do we really know when we let go of our ideas about how things are where does that leave us? what then can we use for our reference point? is there any security at all? Can we just let go of it all, let it all collapse and then there's a the tendency to look for answers so that we can feel secure again oh that's it that's what I can use for my reference point or that's what it means to be present that's what it means to be mindful and there we're right back again limited by our concepts can you and I allow for the possibility of not knowing not knowing what's going to happen next not knowing what something means or what something is not knowing who I am who you are in that not knowing is the freedom a freedom because we're not restricted we're not limited by the conventions of language and thought we're not limited by our ideas, our opinions, our assumptions by our stories the limitation of all this has been seen into and then when it's seen into we can use language and thought we can live in the world because we see the limitations of language and thought and not be restricted by it Well, you might be saying well I don't experience that freedom yet this has to change and that has to change before I can be free And then aren't we back in the same old trap again of needing things to be different than they are? In a very simple way, any of that wanting, that movement towards something other than what's right here is the limitation, is the restriction. So we can ask the question... What's getting in the way of experiencing this freedom right now? What am I carrying that I no longer need to carry? How can I put down the weight of my belief structure? Just put it down. When I investigated this question this question of what's getting in my way of experiencing this freedom right now. What I noticed was a particular reoccurring thought pattern. I noticed that when I was experiencing emotional or mental conflict, if I was suffering in some way, the thought would arise, I shouldn't be suffering. If I'm suffering, I'm not free." and I must do something to get free. I must do something to get rid of the suffering so I can feel that sense of freedom. It seemed to me that freedom and suffering didn't go together. I always thought that freedom was freedom from suffering. But in looking more closely, I saw that freedom must include the freedom to suffer. Or how can it be freedom? How could it really be freedom? In fact, if the suffering is not embraced, that conflict with what is happening, with that immediate pain, will feed the suffering that I want to get away from. Just adding more struggle to the struggle. Just as Christopher said last night, it's like putting wood on the fire in order to put it out. So that freedom must include the freedom to suffer. That must be part of the wholeness, part of the totality. So now suffering isn't a signal that I need to do something to make it go away, to change it in some way, but it's a signal to embrace, to embrace what's happening, to let myself be. To give myself that freedom, to let myself feel all of life, even the pain. The Tao means to go with the flow, wherever that is leading, to the valleys as well as the peaks, into anger as well as compassion, into suffering as well as joy. It is a choicelessness, an acceptance uh, an acceptance of all that comes as being needed, an unquestioning acceptance and a gratefulness for wherever life leads me. It's that kind of embracing, embracing whatever is there, whatever is present. But that pattern of mind that wants to have a pleasant experience, a pleasant sensation, is so strong. And it's that wanting for the pleasure, the comfort, that keeps manipulating the conditions so that the experiences stay on the pleasant side and we avoid the unpleasant. And yet the struggle that is involved in setting up those conditions surely is what creates much of the unpleasantness. On the One Month Retreat, I read a few stories from Frog and Toad. (laughs) This book, Frog and Toad Together. And I want to read one of the ones that i read again, and there are a few people here, but I'm sure they won't mind who have heard it already. Because it really points out how this struggle really is so unnecessary. It's called The Garden. Frog was in his garden. Toad came walking by. What a fine garden you have, Frog, he said. Yes, said Frog, it is very nice, but it was hard work. I wish I had a garden, said Toad. "'Here are some flower seeds. Plant them in the ground,' said Frog, "'and soon you will have a garden.' "'How soon?' asked Toad. (laughs) "'Quite soon,' said Frog. "'Toad ran home. He planted the flower seeds. "'Now, seeds,' said Toad, "'start growing.' "'Toad walked up and down a few times. The seeds did not start to grow.' (laughs) "'Toad put his head close to the ground and said loudly, "'Now, seeds, start growing.' Toad looked at the ground again. The seeds did not start to grow. Toad put his head very close to the ground and shouted, Now, seeds, start growing! Frog came running up the path. What is all this noise? he asked. My seeds will not grow, said Toad. You are shouting too much, said Frog. Those poor, poor seeds are afraid to grow. My seeds are afraid to grow, asked Toad. Of course, said Frog. Leave them alone for a few days. Let the sun shine on them. Let the rain fall on them. Soon your seeds will start to grow. That night, Toad looked out of his window. Drat, said Toad. My seeds have not started to grow. They must be afraid of the dark. Toad went out to his garden with some candles. I will read the seeds' story, said Toad. Then they will not be afraid. Toad read a long story to his seed. (laughs) All the next day, Toad sang songs to his seed. All the next day, Toad read poems to his seed. All the next day, Toad played music to his seed. Toad looked at the ground. The seeds still did not start to grow. What shall I do? cried Toad. These must be the most frightened seeds in the whole world. (laughs) Then Toad felt very tired and fell asleep. Toad, Toad, wake up, said Frog. Look at your garden. (laughs) Toad looked at his garden. Little green plants were coming up out of the ground. At last, shouted Toad, my seeds have stopped being afraid to grow. And now you will have a nice garden, too, said Frog. Yes, said Toad, but you were right, Frog. It was very hard work. So maybe we don't need to struggle (laughs) so much. Maybe we need to remind ourselves to experience the totality of life, to allow the unpleasant as well as the pleasant, and not struggle to change the conditions as a strategy to make it go away. Maybe we don't have to try so hard. Then our eyes can truly see we're not hiding. We're not protecting ourselves from life. So you can ask yourself, what am I doing that keeps me from feeling free, feeling free right now? What ideas do I have about freedom? What is this con- How is this concept being held? Perhaps the limitation to the experience of freedom is in the way that we are thinking about freedom. Perhaps that's where the exploration needs to begin. And in this there is the freedom. The freedom to be. The freedom to struggle. The freedom to be clear. The freedom to be angry, intense. The freedom to be compassionate. The freedom to be free.